Alright, you may have a seat, that'd be great. Hi, I'm Isaac Massam, and today I'll be reading the verse from Nehemiah. When word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set in the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I, believe, while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. Each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sam Blatt sent his aide to me with the same message. And his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations. And Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in, Judah, in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you have said is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. Nehemiah 6, 1 through 9. All right. Thank you, Isaac. Thank you so much. So Isaac will start school tomorrow. He's a freshman in high school. And so remember to pray for them as they do their distance learning and it's all the kiddos that's great just appreciate he and his family so much and being here and so welcome to everybody i'm ron thompson i get to be one of the pastors here I want to welcome all those online all those outside all those in the room and all those will be watching this in the future at some point uh on demand and so i just want to encourage you that we're in nehemiah uh this summer we've been in a great series called rise up and if you have your bible you can open it to nehemiah if you wonder where that is, just go to Psalms and go left. You can't miss it. It's about 13 chapters, and so you'll be able to find it there. But also, I want to encourage you to grab your message notes. If you're in the room or outside, they look like this. And hopefully, if you're online, you have a way to do that and take notes as well, because we're going to dig in today, and we're going to look about a serious problem that Nehemiah had. And you're thinking, well, Ron, haven't we talked about serious problems the last two weeks? Yes, we have. And we're going to look at a different perspective today as we come to a, a critical time in the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem. Nehemiah, as we remember, had traveled 800 miles from Susa to Jerusalem to, to lead this build, rebuilding of the defensive walls around Jerusalem. And it's just been fun to go through this. His story is one of adventure. It's one of intrigue and difficulty. It's included opposition from spies and traitors and oppressors. It's a great, great story about a man who chose to do God's will and then the things that he encountered and led his people to experience as he trusted in God. So Nehemiah and his people, they're doing an impossible job impossible job in difficult circumstances, and yet despite all the difficulty that they were facing, the wall is about to be completed. We've been five chapters, and they've been working on the wall. Last week, we said it was three quarters of the way. This week, it's all the way finished, except for some final touches of adding on 
the gates. And so they've been working at this frantic pace trying to get it done because they knew until they had it done that they were still vulnerable to the enemies who were around them, who had been threatening, threatening them. And the leaders of those who had been opposing them, they're also getting frantic and they're feeling a little bit of consternation because what's going to happen now is the wall's going to be finished and uh, Jerusalem will be protected and they won't have easy access. And so they're thinking, we need to stop this from being finished all the way. And that's exactly what the plan is that they're going to step into today. And they realized the only thing that there was to do that left that they hadn't tried at all is they said, we're just going to take Nehemiah out. That's our plan. We're going to get rid of the leader. And if we can get rid of the leader, then the people will never be able to follow to finish the wall. And so they chose a tactic that many of us are familiar with this word. They are going to bully Nehemiah out. They're going to attempt to bully him out. Now, many of you can relate to this concept of bullying or maybe being bullied by someone at some point in your past. And one of the unfortunate experiences that marks the story of many people is this idea of bullying, the use of force or threat or coercion to abuse, intimidate, or aggressively cause someone to lose their courage and hope. And I did a lot of reading just in the last couple of days on the idea of bullying and it's tragic to read stories of uh, young people, specifically teenagers who are uh, victims of bullying. And, and when you read the stories, your heart breaks as, they, uh, as some teenagers have chosen to see the only way out of bullying is to take their own lives, simply because they were bullied by their peers and others around them. We're going to look today at the kind of bullying that Nehemiah went through and how because of his faith in God, he was able to withstand that. But let me just give you some stats about bullying in our world. According to the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, close to half of all children will experience school bullying at some point while they're in primary or secondary school. At least 10% of children are bullied regularly. Now, it doesn't change much as adults. 35% of the U.S. workforce report being bullied at work by a boss or by a fellow employee at some point. Half of all Americans say they have directly experienced bullying in some fashion. And it seems to me that in our age that we're living in right now, divisiveness and disunity with a keyboard as a weapon, that we're seeing more and more bullying go on in our culture today and people using bullying uh, as a way of getting people to see things their way or do things their way or to change their view on a certain matter. And today we're going to look at Nehemiah's account of being bullied and how he responded to that and the wisdom that he had that I think that we would want to have as well and allowed him to be able to rise up against the bullying that was going on. So I'm going to give you three ideas in the first few verses to help us to wrap our brains around this. And we want to, like Nehemiah, we want to beware. So let's talk about the first one. Beware of distractions. So bullies will use distractions as they come against Nehemiah. Now, the word distraction means an interference, a disturbance, or some tactic that's going to be used to pull our attention away from what we're focused on and we're trying to accomplish. And that's exactly what these enemies of Israel did with Nehemiah. His enemies knew that if they could get Nehemiah to lose focus and maybe not complete the wall and by finishing the gates, if he could lose focus in some way, that they could take him out, that they would be able to 
maybe keep the wall from being able to be finished. Here's what it says in verse 1. When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Now, Ono was a place about 20 miles away from Jerusalem, and it has to be kind of significantly placed that it's right outside Sanballat's territory, and so it's close to his home, and yet it's a beautiful place that people would go to, and they would want to vacation, and they'd want to get away from the heat and get away from Jerusalem. It was where the rich and famous of the day would go to play. It goes on to say this, but they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply, I am carrying on a great project. This is key for us to know. I'm carrying on a great project, and I cannot go down. I cannot do this. You might underline that. We're going to use this phrase at the end of our time together. I am carrying a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same Answer. So they're they're putting the keeping the pressure up on Nehemiah, uh, and I'm sure that in part of the way that they would do this, if you're doing it today, they would first they would send with the first invitation, they would send a travel brochure, and say, look at this, and isn't it beautiful? And maybe the next uh, invitation would include a YouTube link, and so that they could go and watch YouTube videos of how beautiful it was at Ono, and then they would send them to their Instagram page and say, look at all the beautiful pictures of Ono. Don't you want to go to Ono? Come on, Nehemiah, you deserve a break. You've been working so hard. You led the people all the way 800 miles to come here. And now that you've been building this wall and you've been the one that's taken the brunt of this, it's taken you and your efforts. You deserve a break. Come on, Nehemiah, let the people finish the job. It's time for you to get away. Come away with us and let's forget about our differences. Oh, yeah, we've been a pain, all right. But let's forget about our differences. Let's eat, drink, relax, shoot a few rounds of golf and talk about how we can work together. Well, that sounds pretty enticing, doesn't it? That was the invitation that they received from that, that Nehemiah received from his enemies. And yet Nehemiah, he knew that they had something more devious in mind than a vacation. He knew, like I said, they were right on Sanballat's territory. He knew that as he's 20 miles away from Jerusalem, that if things didn't go the way that the enemies might want it to go, that he could just disappear from the face of the earth and no one would know what happened. He knew that could have happened while he was there. And he wasn't going to let the distraction of a weekend away from moving off of the wall and the work that he was leading and the work that he was accomplishing, he wasn't going to let the distraction of a weekend away lead him to the place where he might not be able to finish God's calling. And so he says, oh no to oh no. <laughs> I'm waiting to do that one all morning. Oh no to oh no. And that's what he says. He's not going to go. And he refused to allow the distraction to take him off course. Okay, that's the first one. Beware of distractions. Second, beware of accusations. Accusations. And under accusations, we're going to look at some categories, and it would be intimidation, criticism, rumors, and lies. So accusations that came against Nehemiah from this group that, was, that were trying to take him down. They were trying to bully him. And so they were trying to use gossip and rumor, intimidation, and accusations against him. Okay, so let's just go on to verse 5 then. 
Then the fifth time, so the previous four, he said no. The fifth time, Sam Bellick changed his tactics and sent his aide to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter. In his hand was an unsealed letter. This is an important detail that we need to get here. Up until now, the other four were sealed. So I don't know about you, when I go to my mailbox and I, there's something in my mailbox and it's not sealed, I wonder how many other people have looked inside. And that's exactly what's happened here. So they, on purpose, sent an unsealed letter, and now they didn't have trucks, they didn't have planes, and they didn't have the ways that our mail is delivered today. It was delivered by hand, and usually it meant that someone would walk, and so someone's walking from 20 miles away with a letter, and it's unopened. So first of all, the person who's delivering it, the aide, is going to read it. And then it's kind of like the aide would then tell everybody in every town he went through or every you know, farm he passed by, guess what's in this letter? Guess what's in this letter? So it was unopened so that he could share with everyone else what exactly they were saying about Nehemiah as they were slandering him. And before long, the letter went viral before it ever got to Nehemiah, before it ever got to him. And it says this, in which it was written, it is reported. Why don't you underline that? It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore, you are building this wall part of your you know, revolting, your revolution. Moreover, according to these reports, you were about to become their king and even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report, we'll get back to the king, talking about the king of Persia, so come, let us meet together. Nehemiah gets that letter and he says, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you say is happening. You were just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands are going to get too weak for the work because they're going to get distracted by this criticism and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. I called out to God, strengthen me. So here's what's happening. Nehemiah's motives are being questioned. Not only motives being questioned, but they've actually made up a story, a, a, a rumor that's not true, so that they can get underneath Nehemiah's skin and get his people to actually turn against him. Nehemiah, is that really what you're planning? Is that really why we're doing all this work, so that you can become king? They were trying to create disunity through their rumors and through their criticism. That phrase, it's been reported. And I just think, this, this, it's been reported. That's typical of a phrase, folks, that's used to validate or give oomph or strength to support someone's accusations and rumors and gossip. It's been reported. Or you could say it this way. You know, Nehemiah, there are others who think like me. There are others who are not happy, Nehemiah. There are others who are about to revolt. Unnamed sources tell us the nations all know about this. And of course, if Geshem says it's true, it's got to be true. Well, if you remember Geshem in chapter 2, he's one of the enemies that came against Nehemiah who tried to, with threats of war to come against him. So he definitely wasn't on his side. He wasn't really an upright character. So the, uh, what we're talking about is we're talking about the power of the invisible other. That's what a bully will use. The power of the invisible other to get their way. To cause you to believe that everybody's against you or everyone thinks this or it's all going this way to get you to change your mind and get you to off 
course. And they were just trying to get the people to question Nehemiah's motives. Can you imagine after all the work that they've done and they've been unified together, especially last week in chapter 5 when they all uh, were uh, able to be repentant about their sin of taking advantage of their fellow Israelites economically and financially, that they are now unified, but they try to bring in this thing that's going to eat at them, a spur that's going to make them be disunified. But Nehemiah, he didn't cave in. He didn't cave into their accusations. Instead, he responded to them publicly, nothing like what you're saying is happening. You are just making this up. So he stood up and he was strong against them. And he calmly denies the rumors. He calmly denies the gossip, but he doesn't let them take him off mission. And we'll talk about that in just a little while. Instead, what he does is he prays and he asks God because he understood that criticism is part of the job. I found this quote by Abraham Lincoln that talked about that. He says this, if I were to try to read, much less answer, all the attacks made on me, this shop might as well be closed for any other business. He's saying, that's all I would ever do. I do the very best I can, the uh, very best I know how, the very best I can, and I mean to keep going so until the end. So he's saying, I don't have time to answer all the critics. I'm just going to do the best I can today. Recently, I got to watch an interview uh, with Sadie Robertson Huff. Robertson is the Duck Dynasty family, and recently she got married, so she's now Sadie Robertson Huff. She's 23. She's become a, a social media phenom, and uh, from her time on Dances with Stars, she's extremely, uh, uh, has a, a huge Instagram following, uh, but she's using her following to point people to Jesus Christ and how by following Jesus Christ that you can find purpose and passion for your life. And so she's saying that's exactly who it is that she's trying to be. And she, because of that, she's getting criticism, especially as a 23-year-old, people questioning her motives and why she's doing this. And she said this, her grandmother gave her some strength and a quote uh, from her grandmother says, if you're a leader, you're going to get criticism. If you're holding the football, you're going to get tackled. So just know, if you're in that position, it's going to happen. You're going to have people that criticize you for who you are. So don't be surprised if the bullies come after you seeking to distract you or intimidate you. It just comes with the territory. And But like Sadie Robertson Huff, like Abraham Lincoln, and like you and me, we can stand strong in the face of this adversary, adversity, even though someone is slandering us and speaking mistruths about us and gossip. Just remember this. Criticism is just someone's opinion, folks. It may be right, and so you always want to ask yourself, what truth is there in this criticism? But it also could be wrong. In this case, it was a flat-out lie that they were bringing against him. I love this one more quote about Craig Rochelle. He says this. He says, don't worry about what people say about you. Worry about what's true about you. It's not what they say, but you should spend your time thinking about what's true, and you should make what's true be the most important thing to you. So beware of distractions. Beware of accusations. Number three, beware of temptations. These are three things that the bullies used against him to try to knock him off course. The last one is temptation. So temptation, what is that? It's something that's in front of us that's designed to take us off course if we give into it. Something that will not only take us off course, it's actually going to disqualify us. It's actually going to disqualify us from where we're trying to be and our reputation. goes on to say this. One day I went to the house of Shimei, son of Delai, the son of Mehetabel. A lot of words there, right? We're going through uh, Nehemiah here, who was shut in at his home. 
Now, we don't, much, we don't know much about Mashai. Not, we really don't. The only place he's mentioned is right here. And so, but, but from what we can deduce and what scholars would say is going on right here, and Shimei was actually uh, some kind of prophet or some kind of religious leader. And in this case, he was a counselor to Nehemiah because Nehemiah was in his house to get his wisdom and his counsel. And this is what he said. He wasn't a really good friend. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors, Nehemiah, because guess what, Nehemiah? People are coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you. By night, Nehemiah, I'm your friend. They're coming to kill you. Nehemiah saw right through it, right through it, and he said this. He said, but should a man like me run away? So what he's saying here is I'm going to choose faith over fear. I'm going to choose courage right now. Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go, he says. And he says, I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin. There's temptation. I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God. So he's actually, I, I, it's just a very human prayer. He's basically saying, God, get them. Just remember them, would you, God? And remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So what was the temptation Nehemiah faced? Well, the temptation he faced was to take matters in his own hand and do what God had said not to do. And do what God had said don't do. They were calling him to disregard what God had said not to do. And folks, it's, it's against God's perfect will anytime we step out and go against what God says we are to do or not to do in this case. He was tempted by Shimei to go into the inner sanctuary of the temple where it would be safe and secure. You can imagine how safe and secure it would be there. And he was saying the most safe and secure place that we could find in Jerusalem, Nehemiah, for you to be because there are people who are going to come and kill you tonight and you need to go and hide would be inside the temple. But Nehemiah knew this. He knew his Bible. And he knew from reading the law that God had forbidden anyone except for the priest to enter into the temple, the holy of holies places. You can read about this in Numbers chapter 3. And he says, I'm not going to do it. So Nehemiah knew that God said, don't do what Shemaiah would say to do. And he said, I'm not going to be the one who gives into temptation and compromises simply because it's going to be the best thing for me in my situation and circumstances. So here's the progression that kind of happens here, that we can look at the way the bullies came after him. First, his enemies asked him to do something unwise, and once again, he says, oh no to oh no. He says, I can't go and be distracted. I can't leave the wall. There's too much work to be done, and I can't take a chance of what might happen if I'm away. Second, his enemies tried to harm his reputation. So they put out criticisms, and they put, spread rumors, and accusations, and they tried to harm his reputation. And basically what Nehemiah says, he says, I'll show you my integrity, and I'll show you my character by the strength of my resolve to finish the wall and what God's called me to do. And then third, when number one and number two didn't work, they go for the inside job, and they bribe someone close to Nehemiah, a prophet of the land, to 
convince him to sin against God so that then they could publicly, do you think they were going to let this slide? No. Then they could publicly humiliate and discredit him before the people because of his sin. And he says, I'm not going to respond in fear. I won't sin against my God. I will respond in faith. And he could do all this because he, as we've learned, is a man of wisdom. Now we get to the verse that I've been looking forward to the entire series so far. We get to verse 15. So verse 15, it says, So the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. 52 days. This is a superhuman achievement considering the tools and the resources and the technology that they had of this day. So I'm going to show you some pictures of the wall that we've been able to find. And uh, these are uh, recently uh, archaeologists have unearthed sections of Nehemiah's wall. And uh, in 2007, I think, is when the first uh, section of the wall was actually unearthed. And so here's a picture right here that shows we're in Jerusalem right now. They've dug down, and it shows you a picture of the uh, base of the wall. This isn't the entire wall. This is just the base of the wall. Now, uh, scholars say uh, from the finds that they've been able to make that the wall is anywhere from uh, 8 to 15 feet wide, so it varies uh, in different places, 8 to 15 feet wide. It's anywhere from 25 to 38 feet tall, so it varies in certain places, but it's two and a half miles long. And it says that they completed the wall in 52 days. Now, we don't know the condition of the wall when they got there, but it says it's in complete disrepair and it have no defense, so it has to be in pretty bad shape. And Nehemiah and his folks have been able to engage and finish this project in 52 days. There's one more picture I want to show you. Once again, it just shows you the magnitude of what's, what the experience was and what they were going through. Yeah, right there. So we see this once again. This is just the base of the wall, and uh, you can see this in Jerusalem today as they were looking at that. And so they finished the wall. Now, <laughs> Most, you might think that the story's over right now, but we have several chapters to go because the story's not over. Because now, after from here on out, we're going to, how did they live now that this project was completed and honor God? And then it ends with this, verses 10 through 16. It says this, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. There's no way man could have done this. There's no way this ragtag group of Israelites could have accomplished this. There's absolutely no way. There's a God there. And they were intimidated by the God of the Bible because they knew that they had been standing against the God of the Bible and that, that from here on out they would have these Israelites to deal with who believed in this God. So what can we learn? What can we learn from the way that he faced his distractions? Well, there's three things one that fits with each one of the ideas that we've looked at so far. And the first one is this. Wise people have a compelling purpose. Wise people have a compelling purpose or vision or mission for their lives. A wise person does. See, you need a strong, if you don't have one, you need a strong purpose, a cause, a dream, an objective, something that you're shooting for, something that pulls you, something that gets you up out of bed, not something that pushes you, but something that pulls you forward into a desired future that you've heard that God has called you to. And that was what Nehemiah had. 
Nehemiah's brother came back from seeing the walls of Jerusalem and came and reported that they were in disrepair. Nehemiah, Nehemiah's heart was derailed by that news, and he could not stand to, to know that his people did not have safety. And God called him in that moment, and it says he spent the next four months in prayer and fasting as God solidified the purpose and the calling for his life, and he stepped out. Folks, you need a strong why before you do the what of life. And Nehemiah had that. You need to have a strong focus, something that you say, this is why I'm here, and this is what I'm doing. And that's why when they had the distraction that came to him, he says, no, you can't distract me with that. I'm here to build the wall. And he knew exactly what he was doing, and so he could say no to distraction. This is what he says. He says, I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? You know, I, I like to put verses that really are significant to me, uh, either on my screen or my phone uh, or in my refrigerator or in my bathroom mirror, uh, other places that I can hold on to. And I just think this might be one that I'm going to choose to focus on for a while. It was Nehemiah's statement, I am carrying on a great project and I cannot stop. I cannot go down. Would that, you just think about that would help you in life? If you face temptations, you face distractions, you face criticisms, just remember, I am accomplishing, carrying on a great project, and I cannot stop. Whether it's parenting, or whether it's your job, or whether it's your faith in some way, I cannot stop because I have this purpose. And folks, I just say this, I don't think there's any greater purpose than the kingdom of God. I don't think there's any greater purpose in the kingdom of God and making sure that every person knows Jesus Christ and not just knows Jesus Christ but then knows what it is to walk with him to know him, to become his follower to have their lives transformed because they've been able to significantly understand their value to God because of what Jesus Christ has done okay, second is this wise people have a clear perspective they have a clear perspective or perception or discernment you saw that was true with Nehemiah as he had discernment or perception or a perspective. And you know what, folks? It didn't come because he was Nehemiah. It didn't come because he was human. It became because he was with God. He was with God. And because he was with God, because he relied on God, God gave him discernment in situations that weren't clear. And he was able to see through them to see the traps that the enemy was putting against him, the bullies. And here's what he says these three times. He says this, but they were scheming to harm me. They were all trying to frighten us. I realized that God had not sent him or them. And so all of these were his perception, his perspective that he had because he knew God. And he was able to sidestep the difficulties they were putting in front of him that might hurt him. And then lastly is this, wise people engage in continual prayer. They engage in continual prayer. So we saw beginning in chapter 1 that Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And his response to everything, as we've been through so far and we're going to keep going, his response to everything, he has the longest prayer in the entire Bible we're going to look at in two weeks. His response was continual prayer prayer. He prayed. He came before God. He knew that he needed God. He knew that he needed God's strength. Now, I know that he didn't have the New Testament like we have, because we're talking about Old Testament times here, but he could have been one who understand the truth that James, the writer of wisdom in the, Old in the New Testament, said when he said, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, 
who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Nehemiah prayed 14 different times in this book. 14 different times he stops on a dime. And he prays to God because he knew that he needed God's strength if he was going to be able to withstand the difficulties that came against him. And the one today just says this, Now strengthen my hands. Now strengthen my hands. There are bullies coming against me, opposition coming against me. They want to take me out, take me down. But God, your purpose is so strong, I cannot afford to give in. Would you strengthen me? Strengthen me. Strengthen my hands, God. This is just a cry of dependence, folks. He's saying, God, I know I can't do this. I can't do this without you. And so, folks, when we need wisdom, when we feel like our life is out of control, when we face distractions, we face accusations, when we face temptations, our call is to come to God and say, God, strengthen my hands. Strengthen me. Now, one of the people that's really dear to my life, he's helped me to see bullying in a different way. And um, he told me that uh, in our prayer times and times that we've spent together, he told me that um, Satan is the big bully. It's really helped me to see Satan that way. Not just as someone who's against me, that someone who's bullying me to pound me down. And he's helped me to see that. And he's helped me to build to understand that Satan wants to distract me. Folks, we live in a world of distractions. There's so many good things in life, but we live in a world that we're so distracted we're, we're, that we can't even focus on the things in front of us because there's so many distractions. And Satan wants us to focus on all the good things and be distracted by them. And so he bullies us by pointing those out. Satan is the bully of accusation. He's the one that tells you that you're not valuable, that you're not worthy. He's the one that tells you that God doesn't love you, that God's not for you. He's a bully. And he's also the bully that wants you to tempt, give in to temptation. And then you give in to temptation, and he's saying, come on, come on, come on, come on, do this, do this. Do this. Knowing all the time that once you do, he's going to be right there to accuse you with guilt. Try to push you away from God that you won't have a relationship with him. But here's the deal. God sent Jesus Christ to defeat the bully. God sent Jesus Christ to make it so that you and I can walk in relationship with God and know him so that we can say to him, God, I need your strength. I cannot do this. It says if we resist the devil, he will flee. So resist the bully. By his power, he will flee. And that's what he called us to. Jesus Christ made that possible. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and we'll pray together. God, I love you so much. And I just love everyone in the room. I see people in the room haven't been here for a while. People haven't been here since March. And uh, just keep coming and coming. Uh, God, I just thank you so much for your, your personal attention to us in every way. And so I want to pray for us now. First of all, I just want to pray for anyone in the room who is currently or has experienced bullying. I just want you to know that God's there for you. And all bullying is designed to make you doubt your value question your identity. I just want to ask if you could recall these words that God says to you in Psalm 139. He says, I have made you. I formed you in your mother's womb. You are precious to me. You're beautiful. That's God's message. And he showed us how much he loves us when he gave Jesus Christ to come so that we could have life. And so I just pray that you would build to 
embrace that love and not the message of your bullies. And God, I also know there are people in the room that are watching online who will see this in the future who have never said yes to you, never said yes to Jesus Christ, and I just want to give them opportunity today that you sent Jesus to defeat Satan, our greatest enemy, the bully who comes against us. And that when you went to the cross, Jesus, that you said it is finished and that salvation has been won for all people, all who say yes to you, say yes to you for forgiveness, yes to you for life, yes to you for purpose. And God, I pray for each of us that we would be able to embrace that yes and walk with you. And God, I pray now that you would give us wisdom. You'd help us remember what we talked about today and how distractions can talk, take us off course, how accusations can take us off course, and how temptation can take us off course. And I pray that you would help us to live like Nehemiah. Strengthen my hands, oh God. The, what, the purpose you've given me is too great. I cannot stop. I must keep moving forward in the direction you've called me to go. I say in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.